Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. A recent GoBanking rate survey found that 30% of Americans have between 1,000 and 5,000 in credit card debt. 15% have 5,000 or more. 6% have 10,000 or more. And although 6% may seem like a small amount, that means that based on the survey results, 14 million Americans have over $10,000 in credit card debt. And over 39% of Americans believe that they will be able to pay their credit card debt off within the next two years. What's going on guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves. As always, your host, Matty A, my co-host, Mr. Breedwell. Cheerio. Oi, 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 oi. We are covering all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance to help you on your March 2 million and beyond. As always, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy anything that we talk about, any value, any of these conversations, all we ask is that you take two minutes to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on. And of course, don't forget to check out all the great stuff that we got at MillionaireMindcast.com for you guys, spreadsheets, trackers, checklists, all kinds of amazing things that will ultimately put more tools on your financial tool belt. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of the free financial x-ray by Mr. Breedwell and his amazing team, which consists of what, Mr. Breedwell? We will take a review of what you're currently doing with your assets. Um, main thing is we have a third-party analyst go through and tell you what the fees are, what the performances look like, what the gaps are in the portfolio, any stock overlay that we have in funds. We'll do a comparison of what you're currently doing, what I think might be a good idea. Most of the time, uh, you've heard me say it here before, if I've been on here, it's just fees that people don't know that they're paying and layers and fees. And that normally takes away from the return. We're pretty good at identifying those and trying to kind of fill those on with performance. And um, most of the people that come through, we can quantify that there's, a, there's room for improvement. And if they choose to do so, we can implement a plan to improve that. So it's just a free look under the hood. And most of the people that end up going through that end up taking advantage of 
making those improvements. So they, they kind of take their investments and turn them into a financial plan. And you guys can take advantage of that for free. All our Millionaire Mindcast listeners, Ryan and his team graciously do that for you guys. This is a comprehensive plan as well uh, and extremely valuable. So feel free to text the word X-ray to 844-447-1555 to take advantage of that. All my accredited investors that want to get on my deals list, looking for passive mm -hmm. income investment opportunities, you can text the word deals to 844-447-1555 as well. That being said, Mr. Breedwell, all the way across the pond, my brother is all the Puddle way out here, baby. In London town right now? Where are you at? I'm in London. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I can actually say because I won't be here tomorrow, so now nobody can come and find me. I'll be at. The, I'm at the Rosewood London right now. I got a um, a nice suite here, and I wasn't. I didn't even know that's what I did when I got the room. So good on me for that. Um, super old building. People are so nice. Um, the, the I will say the food is a little different than what I'm accustomed to. <laughs> You're not liking to. your mash and bangers on. I'm not. I haven't found the Indian food I had. Wow. Mm, I bet I you mean, they got some great Indian food out there. It was incredible. And it was like, the I want to say it's the best Indian food I've ever had. Um, I just had butter chicken, so typical American dish, but, um, it was amazing. It was super, super, super good. All the people in there were extremely nice and it's cheap. Um, mm. went out to an Italian restaurant, got some homemade pasta, 10 pound. So $12, um, for like a full, yeah, not a bad, not bad at all. Um, takes about six hours to go 15 miles in a cab. Takes about six minutes to go 15 miles in the tube. That's the trains. I'm learning. I'm learning. Shout out. Um, uh, we got a listener out here, Demetrius and uh, Karen. So shout out to them. Hope you two are doing well. They text me because I knew I was coming out here and they live in London. Nice. So shout out to them. But yeah, good. Uh, good. Weather's actually pretty good, too. It's like Seattle, so it rains a lot. Um, but it's been 58, 62, cloudy. Uh, we had the Bo not Boston, the London Marathon. Is that what it's called? I think happened the other day. So there's runners everywhere. So it's been a cool, cool time. I'm off to Paris nice. after this and Bordeaux and then Amsterdam. Beautiful. Well, we are getting finally some nice weather out here in Cali. Was out poolside with the girls this weekend, watching my Sacramento Kings lose to the Warriors the last two games. So the series is evened up there. So hoping that they bring it home and uh, it's going to be a grind out, but it's fun watching some playoff basketball and Speaking of sports, as a fellow girl dad, a big win for women's sports. The House has voted in favor of protecting women's sports and preventing biological men. No Democrats voted for it. Against How it. And sad. unfortunately, that is kind of crazy to think that not, not one, one Democrat. Democrat voted to protect women's sports, which is wild. If you're but a woman and you're a Democrat, that would be a head scratcher for me. The that win is the win, though. Event. Yes. And I'm, uh, I'm stoked to see that. We got a great show for you guys today, though, in terms of big reports coming out this week and mm -hmm. uh, some big earnings coming out this week. We had some well. earnings. I can't say what this is, but we had some earnings from some a beverage maker at pre-market uh, today on Tuesday, and that was very good. There, um, the Coca-Cola reported great earnings. No, no shock there. I needed to see what their EPS uh, was. Cause again, I'm eight hours ahead and it's hard to look back, but they reported before the bell. I think their stock is up about half a percent right now. Um, strong dividend payer, 
there are billions and billions of uh, cans of Coca-Cola are sold and opened and consumed every week. That's crazy to think. Um, so just keep that's a that's a bellwether of the Dow and a long term holding of our um, even though I disagree with him last week, our friend Warren Buffett. He's held Coca-Cola back since they were a couple dollars a share, even a couple pennies a share, and has held it through. And that's one of his long-term holdings. Um, I'm. We also have that in our dividend uh, as a dividend play for some of our clients. And I love the stock. Um, what does that tell me? I would put uh, soda as a category of a consumer defensive. It's a, it's something that somebody can, it's a sweet treat that somebody can have for a very low cost. Um, so that's something that's really insulated, has wide moat coverage um, across the board. So that's not, uh, not something I'm super surprised of to see Coca-Cola. We have other companies um, that are reporting. And I think the weird thing is right now, there was a um, survey taken for the large asset managers. So asset managers with over $500 million in assets under management. And they did a parameter of three months ago and the forward looking three months and where these asset managers are thinking of putting the monies. And three months ago, they were long emerging market stocks, long Chinese stocks, long the US dollar. I would call that a bearish or defensive setup. Now, and this one was very surprising to me, those same fund managers are now saying they're long big tech. I want to put an asterisk there, big tech names, long U.S. equities, short Chinese equities, underweight U.S. dollar, underweight emerging markets and developed, um, developed international markets. So almost a complete 180. And it's weird because tech stocks are starting to become somewhat more of a value play versus the hyper growth mm -hmm. um, speculative stuff that they had been because technology is becoming more and more and more a part of our daily lives. Here I am with my computer right here, right? That, that is something that should be taken into consideration because that tells you what those funds and what those managers who have big swaths of money and, and decision-making power to deploy, that's where they're considering deploying their decisions. And so what's going to begin to happen is you're going to see a shift or a rotation out of the safer and value-focused assets that we've been going into these past, I want to say, 14 to 16 months because balance sheets have been in focus due to inflation being so high and so sticky, um, depending on who you ask. But we'll call that the truth for now. And people are starting to give an indication that that's probably not going to be the case for the long term. Now, there's lots of pundits out, including headline news that are now calling for a recession again. Um, the same people that were calling for a recession 12 months ago and 14 months ago and 16 months ago. And then said a recession never happened. So take that at face value. Um, and I think the reason why, and I was talking to Matt about this before, is just there's so much conflicting data. I don't think anybody wants to put a foot down on either side of the line and be wrong. Um, and that's one of the advantages of listening to us is it's okay to be wrong. 
and in something we like to educate our listeners on is failing and fail forward. It's okay to be wrong. As long as you understand when you're wrong, you learn from it and use it as a stepping stone to move forward. I do yep. think they're going to raise rates. I do not think they're going to pause on this next meeting. I think after this next meeting though, they are going to pause. And I do think there's probably two to three. And I said three originally, and I'm sticking to that, but maybe two could, it could be bumped down to two rate cuts by the end of the year. And something that I keep trying to remind people is what if I told you that every other time that they cut interest rates is because they saw a breaking or brokenness in the economy. And this time they are going to be cutting interest rates because they're seeing hope or light at the end of the tunnel. And this being inflation, that's the difference in narrative here. And that's why I don't think there's going to be a recession. And I do think we're going to end somewhere around the 4,400 zone on the S and P 500 at the end of the year. Right now we're seeing somewhat of a, a lack in confidence. It seems like from a lot of people with that conflicting data of it somewhat being a, a sentiment that has a lot of people, like you said, scratching their head and almost pausing. Only 24% of investors believe now is a good time to invest in stocks, which was noted as the lowest reading in 17 years. Are you attributing that to a lot of these polarizing, you know, narratives that are really on different ends of the spectrum and it being something that just feels very volatile still and uncertain for a lot of people. Therefore, they're just kind of sitting on the sidelines and or not being as aggressive in what positions they're taking. Yeah, I think that um, I think that the louder something is, especially in the mainstream media, the more in the, the more that you should understand that that's probably not the truth. Um, because if that was the case, if, if it was so easy and well known that there was going to be a recession, the moves in the market that are happening just wouldn't be happening. Um, when it was as clear as day in 2007 to 2008 that there was a recession, the market started to tip off and kept going down and kept going down and kept going down. And then it eventually hit an edge where it went really down really fast. Um, mm -hmm. We're doing the opposite. Again, the market's up almost double digits uh, year to date. So all those people that said that, if you would have listened to them since January 1st, you probably wouldn't have made any money. And most of my clients and almost all of my clients have made money this year because we have equity exposure, safe equity. Well, I should be careful saying safe equity because equities, all investments have risk, but higher quality equity investments. Um, we do have tech exposure and I, my main holding in my large cap uh, growth stock basket is going to be uh, either Microsoft or IQVA holdings or ASML. And before buying any of those stocks, you should definitely talk to your uh, financial professional or uh, investment advisor before doing that. But it's, it's a good, those are good areas to have exposure because they've been beaten up so much but they're almost so integrated into what we do in our day-to-day -day lives. We can't get away from them. It's almost saying like, it's almost like shorting oxygen. You know, yeah, you can pause in between breaths, but you always have to go back to it. And so there's, mm -hmm. that's what, that's where we're looking when we're buying these companies. We're looking for companies that they may be down, but they just can't be out. There's, there's no getting rid of Walmart. There's no getting rid of Microsoft. There's no getting rid of IBM. There's no getting rid of Oracle. 
those types of names are going to go down when the market goes down. But those just that just presents opportunities for smart investors who are long. Because yes, in the short term, they're long. But what have they done over the past five years? What if we back right. up five years ago and people that bought them five years ago and all the money that they've made? What if they've been holding cash to buy more of that? You know, just it's starting to come to the point where there's there's a lot less narrative that people haven't heard. And they're starting to get a little tired of hearing the same thing. Oh, okay. Well, now a recession again. Well, what happened to the last time they said there was a recession? Okay. Well, what happened? I thought inflation was going to be under control once we got, you know, into the year. What about 2024? What about 2025? You know, things like that have to be serious conversations when you talk about investing. Because if you're investing for t t today and you're right. going to check tomorrow, you are not in the right state of mind to be investing in real estate. You're not in the right state of mind to be investing in the stock market or really anything. You're stuck in the casino and you're going to keep jamming your money into stuff, trying to get rich quick. And it's never going to happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, with a lot of some of the data that's coming out right now, people are somewhat, like you said, getting somewhat sucked into this short term fear-mongering mentality and they're losing sight of the the bigger picture you've got walt disney this week uh beginning a second wave of layoffs you know as it works towards eliminating another seven thousand jobs to help save five and a half billion in costs there been uh, looks like a little over which is going to be normal when they have a ceo switch up bob Iger yep. is back and he's in charge and bob Iger does not fuck around he is there yeah. to make money, and he's always made money when he's been CEO. I personally love Bob, Bob Iger. I, think I like is, him too. He is not he's soft, one of the most badass he's CEOs. Man. Yep. Yeah, he's he's getting the company back on the direction that they need to be. Same with what Bud Lights, uh, Anheuser Busch, and Bev. You know, leave of absence to their head of marketing. Good. Yep. That was the way that they're supposed to do. You know, you have to, when things get derailed and start going in an area that starts costing the company money, you have to make hard decisions sometimes. And 100%. The, fact they were, the fact that Disney, for their example, was hiring so much post pandemic, way overhired. I mean, way yeah. overhired. They were running the parks prior to the pandemic at that, at those staff levels. They don't need triple the staff to do the same thing. We see that with Twitter. Why is Twitter now? planning to be profitable for the first time almost in their history. They cut the fat. Anybody, all my, all, my, the fat. all my friends in Texas, what happens when you don't trim the brisket correctly? Either it dries up or you don't cook. So you yep. got it. You have to trim the fat properly. And, and we've been seeing a lot of companies hyper-focused on the liberal woke agenda, too obsessed with that kind of stuff, trying to um, – that you're trying to pander to people who don't even spend money on their products and mm -hmm. not focusing on the black and white day-to-day -day business metrics. That's why Bob Iger is good for Disney. He does not care about talking to your child about what's acceptable for a two, a two father adult household. That, that's not their business to do. Their job is to have you get in their theme parks, spend money. And when you spend money, then to have high margins on those on the money that you're spending so they can retain that and do it over and over and over and over again and give you a good experience while you're doing it. That's the job yep. of all companies. So Bob Iger being back at the helm of Disney is great. Want to get your take on consumer credit card debt growing and ultimately how we're seeing some potential liquidity issues or not for certain individuals. So I'm going to share a little bit of data with you on that. And ultimately, you know, this, 
narrative continuing around banking and what that has potentially played a role in gold being bought up. So we'll talk a little bit about that to circle back on the consumer credit card debt issues that have expanded recently. A recent GoBanking rate survey found that 30% of Americans have between 1,000 and 5,000 in credit card debt. 15% 15% have 5,000 or more, 6% have 10,000 or more. And although 6% may seem like a small amount, that means that based on the survey results, 14 million Americans have over $10,000 in credit card debt. And over 39% of Americans believe that they will be able to pay their credit card debt off within the next two years. Another study came out, nearly half of Americans need credit cards to cover essential living expenses. 49% of Americans depend on credit cards to cover those living expenses with Gen Zers making up 61% of that data set. You got 53% of millennials using credit cards for living expenses and 26% of boomers using credit card expenses with 53% of Americans saying they don't have an emergency savings per CNBC. Mm. If something were to go wrong, could that be a domino? This consumer credit bubble, could that, if that pops, could that be something that creates a much larger ripple effect in the stock market, in the real estate market? Is there a concern there or is this data misleading? I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think it is a little misleading on on some fronts. Uh, one of them being uh, people that have credit card debt. I think anybody that has a credit card has debt on it because that day that their credit card gets checked, it's probably not at zero. Okay, so let's go ahead and get in front of that. If you go look at my credit card right now, I probably got twenty or thirty thousand dollars between all three of them. Um, I'm not holding that debt. The majority of it's on my business card. And I pay that debt off. But if they were to survey me right now, it would say that I have $30,000 in credit card debt, which would be an an accurate statement in the moment and an inaccurate statement long term. So I think a better idea is for how long are people holding debt for over 90 days? So 90 days out, how much credit card debt is on average on on, and revolving around? It's probably going to be a lot smaller number. Uh, Second, cost of goods and services go up. So credit card debt is going to go up forever over time because people will have to spend more money to get the same thing. So make sure we all wrap our brain around that. And second, debt is not a bad thing when it is serviced. So that's another thing you have to, I'm not Robert Kiyosaki. I'm not saying go into debt because debt is how you make money. That's also not true. Um, Again, actually, that's one of those things that is true because yeah, you're, you're going into debt for the money, but that doesn't mean you made money. But anyway, um, you just need to make sure that you're servicing the debt properly. And so for people like me, if I run up thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a month and I pay it off at the end of every month, did I have debt for 30 days? Yes, I did. But I also was holding my money in my bank account. My bank now pays me. Wow, shocking. They're starting to pay me yield on my cash. So I'm earning some sort of yield on that. Is it less than inflation? Sure. So am I negative on my purchasing power? Sure but that money is for demand now reasons. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, flipping it on its head, if there's a crack in that, is that going to be a problem for the economy? Oh, yeah, in the short term, that's going to scare some people. It's going to cause some fear selling. But then when people pull back the curtain and realize who it's affecting and they realize it's Gen Z who 
are already getting their parents' money, I really don't think that's going to scare too many people. I don't see a mm. very – right now for the trajectory of Gen Z, I don't see a super bright future. I mean, the some of the best futures that Gen Zers are going to have is inheriting money. I mean, that's honestly – True. True. That's honest because they're really not doing much as far as an equity position. Um, most debt, uh, lowest, I believe, working percentage. So the so Gen Zers, if you put the working age Gen Zers to working age um, millennials, yes, are we deeper into our cycle? Yeah, but we were also getting jobs at an earlier age, holding jobs for a longer tenure and not job hopping. I mean, yeah, Gen Zers just, literally just, will have a job for four months and jump to another job because they, they didn't make enough friends. I mean, it's just yeah. Stupid. To add data to that, the share of people under thirty-five who reported being engaged and enjoying their work and jobs have dropped from thirty-seven percent to thirty-three, which is the lowest level since two thousand eleven. And there's something called the misery index, and the misery index is at a value of 8.5. And I'll, I'll save the time for giving context and relativity to what that scale is. But this is down from 9.6 in February, but it's well below the median um, of 9.6 over the last 50 years, but still the highest um, in, in a 12-month time frame. So it's interesting to see how some of these younger generations are not as engaged, not as inclined to work, you know, are very interested in many different things that are somewhat outside of the scope of how our infrastructure as a, an economy and a world is somewhat set up. And obviously they could be pioneering and creating, you know, the argument for, you know, a, a new world. But that being said, um, there are some, some issues, right, that we're seeing in the short term, you know, start to, to boil up a little bit when it comes to, how they're engaging with the existing economy and way of the world. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. 
Yeah, the generation of short-sightedness and emotional decisions. That's what that is. They are, I mean, talk about the biggest crybaby, whiny Gen Z. <laughs> I'm walking in front of London Parliament today, and there's just, you know, there's a bunch of protesters out there. It's all super young kids signing petitions. Uh, what is the one they have, you know, burn shell. We don't need stop oil production tomorrow. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's just like it's, yeah. it's rooted in yeah, of really understanding the reality of, of the world. That being said, right. you've got, you know, still some narrative around there potentially being this stress and volatility on the banking and financial um, institutions. Credit Suisse saw 68 billion in first quarter outflows as it crumbled Bank reserves could potentially fall between 900 billion to two and a half trillion by year's end. This was a note by Fitch Ratings. You hear America's banks are missing hundreds of billions of dollars per The Economist. And over the past year in commercial banks, um, those in commercial banks have sunk in by half a trillion dollars, a drop nearly 3%, which makes the financial system a little bit more fragile since banks you know, must shrink a little bit to repay some of their deposits. And now we're starting to see an all-time high of gold and being bought up. Is that because people are that concerned about our financial institutions? Or is there potentially another catalyst for gold being bought up? Or is it a mixture of both? What are your thoughts? I think it's a mixture of both. I think people are going to the old etage of gold being a um, a hedge or a good place to go, a safe a safe haven asset uh, class, and it's a boom bust commodity class, meaning it's good to to swing trade it. Um, I also think that with the advent of space travel and technology moving forward, and the fact that we're going uh, TSM is trying to build a factory in the United States and Intel is trying to build a chip factory in the United States and NVIDIA and AMD and ASML. These are, these are companies that need large amounts of that material. And by holding on to portions of that material, because it, it does have a finite amount, we don't just make gold out of thin air. Um, we'll eventually probably mine it from space. But that's the right now what we got on Earth is what we got on Earth. It's, there's a finite amount of it. So if they can hold on to that and it, its demand continues to go up, there's a potential for that being beneficial for the banks. Um, the other thing is it's an asset class that does not have a maturity date. So they're getting less exposure on their balance sheets to fixed income assets and they're, that, that need to be held to maturity. That has HTM on there, you know, uh, versus holding gold and seeing if they can kind of play with that for a little bit. Maybe they're going to uh, collateralize against their gold deposits. Who knows? Um, but I do think it's a little bit of both. Do I think that people should rush in and buy gold? Not really, because gold is an asset that does not pay a yield. And so you really have to buy it at a low and ride it up and sell it at a good time and wait till it goes right down, buy it again, ride it up, sell it again. It's not normally something that you hold for a super long period of time. And I say that with a grain of salt because we do have a 1% to 2% position in some of our portfolios of gold. The idea is to dollar cost average that position and then go heavy into it out of our bond positions when the economy does stuff like this, which we have. 
Um, so it's not something that I would say, Hey, you need 30 or 40 or 50% of your money in gold. Keep putting your, your money there. It's prudent to have a small portion potentially in gold or physical gold at your home. Um, but not necessarily the, Hey, I need it in my portfolio because the world's going to come to an end. And because I have gold in my portfolio, I'm safe. What if the world comes to an end? You think gold on a piece of paper is going to save you? It's just also make sure you run that through the washer a couple times and understand what comes out in the end. It's still just on a piece of paper. So um, it's yeah, just one like of the, a lot of people that out. get into gold or ultimately, some, I don't want to say somewhat of doomsdayers, right? But they're, they're, they're taking well, a lot position. of, a lot of people, a lot of people that do it, think they're doing something that they're not. They think they actually yeah. are going to hold, Oh yeah, I'm buying gold. You are buying deposit tree shares that show you have ownership in the gold that our company owns. And you're going to pay us a percentage to have ownership interest in that gold. But no, you don't physically own the gold at your house. And then you flipped out on and said, what if you do physically own the gold? What are you going to do with it? Where, where are you going to turn your gold into currency? You're going to chip off a piece of gold and go buy some beans from the guy down the street in the middle of the apocalypse? Again, if you just unpack it a little bit more, you sound a little crazy when you buy lots of gold because what are you going to do with it? Most of the people I know that do have pretty heavy positions in gold, right? have zero intention of it generating them a return. And it's more so as a store of value and utility for a worst case scenario. Insurance is way better. There's absolutely zero risk. You can leverage against it, earn interest on it while you leverage against it. And it historically has a higher average rate of return. So yeah, again, nothing wrong with gold. Um, Gold is beautiful and shiny, has intrinsic value. I don't know how uh, I'm not super gung ho on it. I'm an equities focused investor and then real estate. That's what I like. And real estate has been on a tear this year. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that here in, in a second. We've got some very interesting new policy coming out from the Biden administration, which has got a lot of people scratching their heads. We'll talk about that. And of course, some market updates before we do, you know, speaking of gold and being a store of value for worst case scenario, doomsday uh, you've obviously got, very similar narratives and um, similarities to crypto. FTX mm-hmm. has recovered $7.8 billion in assets and is considering relaunching in 2023. How is that even possible? And how does this impact the crypto world? Um, I, to me, the way that I would, I would view it is... Um, I don't think people are going to seriously consider FTX anymore, especially when you have. I don't know how it could after. Yeah. You have regulated banks that are going, you know, through issues. We have SVB, Signature Bank, and those are banks that were just over leveraged. And if you think that they're going to have more leverage to deploy than FTX would, you are absolutely nuts. I'm, I'm of the opinion that that's not going to be something that's going to be long in the tooth. I don't think that. Uh, FTX is going to be around as a serious player. Could totally be wrong, but I would just, I don't know. You have things like Solana that already have a ton of VC money put into them. So I don't know why people would pivot back over to a failed project. 
there's probably going to be people pushing it because the price is, is, you know, down so far off its all time. High. I think last time I saw it, it was trading like a dollar and some change, um, almost $2 maybe, but it's just not something that people that are in the crypto community, I think would take seriously. I really think that that FTX thing pissed off that community. And I don't think that they would support or get behind it again. Yeah. Yep. But I agree. I think they crazy things all the time. Yeah, they. I mean, I think they definitely lost all the, you know, credibility behind the brand. So they're definitely going to have to, in my opinion, relaunch something new to to build up that that trust. But who knows? I've we've seen crazier things in crypto. We have home buyers with good credit scores will soon be facing higher mortgage fees as the buyer. Ah, I got I got some clarification on this. You did okay. Well, let yeah, me, let me get actually through not a one percent fee. So let's let me let me share a little bit more so people can understand the context of what we're talking about here. Biden administration seeks to close the racial home ownership gap and get more first time and low income buyers through the door. A new federal rule could raise the monthly mortgage payments of buyers with good credit scores by over $60 a month. So, again, we're not talking insane amounts, but that being said, it will uh, essentially give more favorable terms to risky borrowers because their fees will be reduced. And both of them are a fee reduction. Just okay. lower credit gets a higher fee reduction. Which so does both are getting it. Yes. I actually talked to our real estate person and they clarified that for me that if you actually, you know, headline news is going to be a little hard to find that. But if you actually look at the bill language, mm -hmm. it's a 1% reduction in fee for higher credit and a 1.75, which still doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make it any better. It's just a clarification on what is being said. Because I was yep. one of the people that thought that that, because that's what the headline news is saying. And again, this is why it's good to make sure you peel into stuff. Because I definitely did. Because I'm like thinking, I'm like, how, how is that even going to get passed? Like, Nobody would yeah. ask. It it's makes a, no sense a, how you reward bad behavior and you're you still rewarding behavior. Yeah, you're still you rewarding. You still are rewarding it exactly. Almost to the to the tune of it's 175% more of a fee reduction if you have lower credit. I completely understand the idea behind it. Hey, let's get people that have less of an opportunity a mm -hmm. break but if you're going to do that you should then say and the people that are doing a good job let's not just give them the smaller let's give them an even bigger deduction because now they're because they're doing their part let's let's pull the risk down to the lower end and not pull the risk to the higher end risk pooling insurance companies love it but you're not supposed to pull your risk in riskier areas and then say you're reducing risk. You're supposed to pull your risk. Like if you have an unhealthy person, you put them in a risk pool with a lot of healthy people because then it negates the risk. I don't really understand the idea of let's take people that have low, that have higher risk of defaulting. That's what their credit score indicates. And let's give them a bigger discount and let's put them all together. Yeah. That doesn't yeah, make any sense. 
it, the effort to get more low income Americans and Americans of color into home ownership is, you know, essentially with this program being subsidized by borrowers who have better credit scores and can contribute more to their down payment. And they I mean, yeah, afford I, to give the larger buyers a 75 basis point discount if they can afford to give the people that aren't, they're just not. Right. So, and so that is technically a in a very roundabout way, there is a higher fee, but they're doing it by implementing a lower discount. Yeah. I mean, I think it will potentially increase home ownership among the targeted group, but I think it could also, you it know, if you really extrapolate it out, decrease home ownership among the middle class and other individuals that are doing all the right things, you know. Also going to muddy uh, mortgage-backed security paper to lower... Mm. Uh, grades from investment grade to high yield. You very you, true. You can't shine shit. And when you put yep. in high, this is the whole issue that happened in 2008. It was tranching of these mortgage backed securities and then coding them in AAA rated and AA and A rated paper. And then below it was a bunch of B and C yep. and non rated yep. crap. And, and then they were like, well, we'll wrap it with a synthetic CDO. So this one's linked to this one. And so as long as this one doesn't fail, this one's going to be okay. I mean, that's not yeah. how it works. And we know that. Yeah, we know that how that that turned out. And I just think the way to expand access to housing is not to reward bad behavior. It's not to reward bad credit. You know, it's it, it's getting other key pieces of how about the we puzzle. Teach people about real estate and credit cards and and stop teaching people about supply side economics in high school. And let's, that yeah, would, well, that would I think a it's a huge, huge, huge thing. Yeah. If you want to talk macro, it's bringing down inflation. It's, you know, expanding affordability. It's reducing property taxes and leaving more money in people's pockets. It's cutting energy costs, right? It's investing rid in of income tax, which is absolutely around after the these. It's just another, in my opinion, perfect example of what the Biden administration has become very, very well known for, which is just pandering, pandering without real merit behind what they're doing. And ultimately it not ultimately it not serving and accomplishing the, the task of what it is, quote unquote, well, designed to, to do. do. Yeah, 100%. But it's a headline. We're checking boxes. Therefore, look at us. And, you know, as you said, when you really dig in and peel back the layers to what's going on, when you really get to the bottom of a lot of the policy here, it's bad policy. It so is. that is something that will be interesting because that is uh, supposed to be going into effect on May 1st. Uh, has that been voted on or is that, is that, is that for sure going into effect? I, I didn't, I didn't see. Um, I have I thought I, I from what I understand that goes into effect on May 1st, May 1st. So that'll yeah. be interesting to see how that all plays out. Existing U S home sales, fell 2.4% last month from February to a seasonally adjusted rate of 4.4 million. The National Association of Realtors said Thursday sales slumped 22% compared to March of last year. And this last week, we just saw, according to Altos, reports that active single family inventory was up 2.1% week over week, which is the highest jump we've seen all year. Maybe inventory has finally bottomed out seasonally. That will be something that we're definitely going to be paying attention to because that's the biggest jump that we've seen. So is it anything that's alarming? No. You see 
Delta Terra's capital, um, Dave Burt, came out this week on CNBC saying we're going to see a 2008 style correction as 20% of the market is mispriced. And then you got Reuters and, you know, many other big, you know, uh, uh, organizations saying the U.S. housing market isn't going to see anything close to 2008 size crash. I am definitely in that camp when we're playing simple supply and demand economics. I just don't see how that is possible unless there's some type of black swan event and some systemic risk baked into that, which we are not aware of at this stage of the game, which at least right now, uh, we don't see any of that Um are you seeing any of that on the, you know, kind of financial side and, and bonds and in your world? Uh, no, no, no. Really what we're seeing is just a lot of, there's a lot of volatility still in the market, but it's yep. hard to say that too, because we also have the VIX is just trading at really, really low levels. The VIX is at like 19 and a half as I'm talking right now. And that's very low, um, the volatility index for where it should be. Uh, if we do have the amount of volatility that we have. So I just think people don't know where to put their money right now. And then that, yeah, I think the, ev the ever ending search of where to, yeah, where to put your money. So it's perfect is also a fool's errand. You just need to buy yeah. quality and consistently buy quality. Well, we got some reports coming out this week. Case Schiller is coming out tomorrow and that Should is projected to be flat. What are we? Yeah. We're, we're projected to like see that zero percent. It was up yep. two and a half percent, I think, last month. So this will so, be the first case shiller that is flat. And that that is good for the rate pause, soft landing, no landing narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, the one that I am, the camp that I'm currently in. It's not necessarily great for your side of the street for uh, real estate data, but it also isn't terrible. It's almost the same yeah. as, hey. Inventory is up 2.1%. And we all know inventory will eventually get back to where it's supposed to be. It's, it's yep. just going to happen. Um, it's just going to happen in pieces. Any other key reports coming out this week that we're paying attention to? Consumer confidence on Friday, uh, the Michigan final for April. That's probably the one I'm most concerned about or concerned, interested in, uh, expected to be flat. Uh, we have consumer confidence as a general report tomorrow, expected to be slightly negative, but essentially flat between friends. Um, if we get a beat on that, plus a really good earnings um, week, we sh we could see a nice movement in the S and P uh, for the end of the week and have a have a good uh, trading week. Again, week over week is not something that we track, but just to give you guys an idea of where my head's at for our, what we're going to see in the short term, uh, if we get A and we get B, we should have a good C. Yep. Well, we will keep you guys updated on the data. We will be covering all of those reports news and updates in next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review. Don't forget to take advantage of your free financial x-ray by texting the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. If you want to get on my accredited investor list, text the word deals to that same phone number and be sure to head over to millionermindcast.com for all the links, resources, and available products that we got available for all of our Millionaire Mindcast family. With that being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in today. Until next episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. 
And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're gonna get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's x-ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word deals to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out. And last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.